0: Us again tonight. It is always a pleasure to talk with you and share thoughts, information, feelings, and inspiration in the midst of a rather chaotic world, as I'm sure everyone has noticed. Has it always been chaotic? I would probably say yes. Has it always been this chaotic? Hmm. You know, there's a particular thread that's passing through our daily lives and annual lives that is, I'd say, distinct from other time periods. Not all time periods, but in the last, you know, at least several thousand years, maybe up to 9,000. And that is the specter Of what it is we call climate change, fostered by global warming, fostered by anthropogenic sources. Okay, you got that thread? All right. Well, what that is to say, translated into English from English, is that there have always been changes. and at times unpredictable, precipitous, and radical changes, we could call radical changes, in Earth's atmosphere, its climate, weather patterns, and therefore life on Earth, what species manage to survive and which do not. So taking the larger geological picture, we could see and say that there's always been tumult sometimes of a completely radical nature, meaning uh, the end of numerous species at once, sort of a cataclysmic sayonara. And there have been periods of relative calm before the storm that have lasted for a year, a few years, a decade, um, even centuries within which the fluctuations of weather, of climate, have been relatively, and of course the word is used advisedly, relatively um, stable and relatively calm. And while we've always had some extreme weather, whether that's the periodic hurricane or tornado or cyclone or earthquake, Uh, or an extreme in temperature, our history of keeping records of weather patterns uh, reveals that. But even today, when we see highs what are record highs or record lows, when we go back to sometimes earlier part of the 20th century or mid-century, we see that there occasionally are record-breaking temperatures, both high and low, at times when we might not have ever used a phrase like global warming or climate change. And perhaps those are the eccentric uh, temperatures that go up and down such as that. But they are there. And we would, not be, uh, we would be remiss if we don't acknowledge that. At the same time, you know, meteorologists and others look at trends And I think we're wise to also look at and metabolize the fact that there are trends trending upward toward greater heat but interestingly also downward toward greater cold. There are those in fact who make a very strong meteorological case that we are going toward something we could call global freezing and trends indicate that. Well, that's very interesting. So what we see is two trends happening virtually simultaneously through the course of an annual cycle, those trending upward and those trending down. So what we uh, have as a result is a conclusion we could uh, at least provisionally draw is that we have something called extreme weather, extreme temperatures, and added together lots of patterns of weather equal climate change. So no matter how you slice it, things are a in folks. And it's outside of the parameters of a standard mean, a standard norm. And I think you've got to be slightly blind, at least in one eye, not to see that. So, on one hand, when we look at the larger picture, which is the name of today's show, when we look at the larger picture, we cannot help but see and experience this change. For instance, right here in New York City, in the early part of March, we were getting 60 degree days we may have even hit 70 one day in early march maybe even the late end of february Well, that does not happen except as i said you know we cast back over the last 100 150 years we it may have happened you know two or three or four times certainly not more than that as far as i know and please if you know different let me know. I'm very interested in learning, and uh, a lot of my learning comes from you. So that would mean an email to mjr, my initials, mjr at abetterworld.net, abetterworld.net of course, the name of the TV, the radio show and the weekly TV show. So, with that said, we are certainly dealing with one thread of difference generally speaking, a significant one, because it is precipitous. Uh, There are major glacial ice sheets that are rapidly melting, far beyond our computer models can uh, grab and predict. They just can't do it. The models aren't accurate enough. Uh, They're pretty sophisticated. But the number of variables to um, factor in are beyond our can our great scientists, climatologists can. It's just, there are so many variables. You know, it's sort of like if you look in that regard, I'm thinking of an orange. You know, uh, brilliant scientists uh, seek to extract ascorbic acid and say, aha, this is our main ingredient here that makes the orange so nutritional and nutritious. Well, yeah, in fact, it is one of those. Maybe it's even the star, but it's surrounded by others like other bioflavonoids that come in all shapes, sizes, and colors, different molecular structures, different chemical bonding to that vitamin C. So when we pull out the vitamin C and isolate it, it no longer functions in the same way as it did when it existed inside of that orange, along with all of its concomitant parts, the way nature designed a whole orange to be ingested as a whole. No, bite-sized pieces, excuse me. But you understand what I mean. (laughs) After peeling, number two, eat in sections as a whole each section is a whole anyway you know i'm having a little fun here but you understand what i mean when we extract and isolate sort of like remember the uh, monty python is it uh the meaning of life part 1 or 2 when they're in the hospital and a woman is uh giving birth and the doctors say among themselves pull it out and isolate it meaning put it into the incubator. Oh, it's a very, very funny, funny uh, episode, uh, followed by another one in which the doctors are speaking among themselves and say, you know, the auditor is coming today. We need to assemble all of our expensive machines and technologies so they won't lower our budget so make sure, oh yes, you need the x-ray machine and the y-machine and the every everything machine and don't forget the machine that goes ping, <laughs> that's how familiar they are sometimes with their own fancy technology the machine that goes ping, anyway Uh, you know when dealing with serious subjects it's nice to do it with a light touch because otherwise we may get bowled over by the uh, sobriety of the moment and what it is we're facing as a species on a planet that is warming up cooling down and everything's melting (laughs) (laughs) including the witch in the Wizard of Oz that part is good but for the rest of our planet, not so good. And so, when we are taking a larger picture, the altitude, so to speak, from above, the helicopter view, the airplane view, I like saying, let's go to the moon, man. Uh, But there, uh, the Earth looks so beautiful. And of course, we have photographs of it. And one of those photographs is actually the Apollo, which is our logo, our motif for a better world. It's uh, that beautiful blue-green planet that we all so love and adore. And looked at from that view, all looks pretty good by and large. As you zoom in on it, however, things start to get a little hairier, and uh, quite literally. But uh, the uh, conflicts, the tensions, the contradictions, the difficulties, the challenges of life on earth, biological and psychological, start to become magnified and having been amplified, uh, magnified, they seem to also become amplified. So ah, the lens through which we look is going to determine our state of being as we look, because when we love something the way it's occurring to us, it shows up as something beautiful and heartening or possibly disheartening, and when we give an honest look at a lot of what's going on in our beautiful dear planet, we become a little, little disheartened not to say that's the end of it all, no, 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 not at all because with another glance just another glance, we will see that there is so much to celebrate. And that's the side, of course, we in A Better World like to focus on what to celebrate next, folks. And there's a lot of human activity, a lot of uh, we fellow humanoids who are doing such fantastic things. To advance the progress of our life to be sustained and to be thriving on this gorgeous planet. However, appear that the work of a small little club is really putting the brakes on our forward progress and doing what they can to deter us, to detour us and to kind of get us off the path of greater creativity and creating, well, yeah, let's just say it, a better world, a transformed world where consciousness is heightened and expanded. Hearts are heightened and expanded, allowing for the transformation of negative emotions and feelings into rather radiant ones. And we can do this. We are alchemists and that is part of our um, genetic heritage, that is part of our terrestrial heritage, and perhaps even our cosmic heritage. So we have much on the ball, my friends, and many of my brothers and sisters across the planet are doing truly remarkable things to advance our cause of creating a better world that means for one and for all, because when you reach that certain level of consciousness, you also recognize that there is truly no separation. We have boundaries. We have distinctions. We have features that separate us in body on certain levels and certain dimension uh, dimensions, as in 3D. We have skin, uh, but that skin is connected to air, and air is connected to the next uh, layer of skin in what we refer to as someone else. So even on the 3D level we are connected. In this case, we're connected through air and skin. Um, if you really want to take an honest look at it, um, you know, from the point of view of physics, that is. This is not, uh, pardon the expression, airy-fairy. This is real. Uh, but on a deeper level, on a, on a spiritual, on an energetic on a soul level, we are so so connected as one being uh, one organism in so many respects. So when we remember that, we realize that what we do for one, we do for all on some level, even if it appears remote, we have the proven principle through mathematics and quantum physics of the butterfly effect, do we not, that says and shows how a business deal closing in Tokyo has a corresponding effect, no matter how seemingly minute but measurable, between a boy and girl going out on their first date in New York City. (laughs) just to be playful about it. So we know that there are these effects and then when the effects become a bit more intended and a bit more concentrated perhaps a bit more amplified, uh, we will begin to get desired effects on other sides of the planet or city or in certain people in particular that we want to reach and can do so by a means not including a cell phone but could include a cell phone, but let's say directly. We do have that ability to communicate through the quantum field. And I'm going to say that we're doing so all the time. We may not conceive it that way, but when you get down to it, folks, when you really get to the bottom rung of the common denominator, of communication is the quantum we see that it's actually happening all the time I have evidence of that uh, rather regularly through well my life but through the groups that I've been running for some you know 25 years uh, in which through the group work we do, the role-playing, the empathy building, the heart connections, the feeling of authentic emotions, Uh, communications do pop up and frequently it's in uh, phone communications that tend to follow our work, inner work in these groups. So, so interesting and consistent. I wouldn't say predictive. I wouldn't say predictable. But I would say consistent. Uh, just this past weekend up at the beautiful Shivananda Yoga Ranch, where I, I've been teaching for some 16 years, either uh, creative writing and journaling as a spiritual discipline, or kung and uh, Therapeutic Theater, and that's what I did this last round and have been for some time now, of the staff and of the new yoga teachers and uh, whatever guests come and show up. Um, We have just seen over and again, including just this past Saturday, uh, in which the protagonist uh, was having difficulties with a good friend, which we were uh, dramatizing, if you will, and doing some role-playing about and some deep work around, and um, really, out of the blue, several phone calls came in, one from her and one from someone in the audience, uh, who is also very emotionally connected to the situation, who is having a parallel kind of issue with a friend of his And there may have been others. That's all that was reported to me on the spot. But this is the kind of thing, it's like we're stirring the quantum brew and a little eye of newt, if you will. And before you know it, uh, magic is happening. It's popping. And we have actual, real, consistent evidence of people being reached through the field And responding, oftentimes, most of the time, quite openly, vulnerably, and openly to a new communication, novelty, as it were. So um, I just want to make this point rather loud and clear as I return to the subject of the day of Mitchell looking at the larger picture, environment, economy, economy politics and us. That does not say the U.S. That says us. (laughs) So uh, I don't want there to be any confusion. In other words, that's the personal part of this. That's the subjective domain in what otherwise looks like a rather objective viewing, uh, which I, I want it to be. But first of all, let me let everyone know that you are listening to a Better World Radio with Mitchell J. Rabin. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. live Eastern Daylight Time. And we love that you tune in and listen, be it from archive or live. It's always a pleasure. Or podcast where you're working on, on the treadmill or running around the block or walking around the block, forwards or backwards on your bike, swimming in a pool, whatever it may be. Sitting on a park bench. Gazing at the sunrise, whatever situation, we so enjoy hearing back from you, your feedback and appreciation of the shows and what really spoke to you about the shows. It's really heartening for me to hear how you are reached. And again, the address to address that too is MJR at a better world. A better world. Dot net, not dot com, but dot so uh, know that we have our weekly radio show and our weekly television show here in the Big Apple in Manhattan every Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Uh, you can tune in if you're in Manhattan on your community cable television stations and watch it or through our website at dot a abetterworld.tv abetterworld.tv or net, they both work and since you're there uh, just click on the top where it says watch here and then click through and that will bring you to the show webcast, simulcast at 7pm Eastern Daylight Time uh, Mondays and that may be uh, time in flux but that's what it is right now and also while you're at the site make sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter. If you're having any trouble or you're not reaching, receiving, I'm sorry, the newsletter after you've signed up, would you please let me know? I'd so appreciate it because uh, it looks like we've been having a little bit of a glitch with that and I really want to get to the bottom of it. And the way I can is through feedback, that is hearing from you. So thanks. Now, returning to the subject at hand we've looked at the environment and I'm asserting that this is the thread that distinguishes this historical time period from other time periods in which there has been relative tumult because if you scan the history of human beings on the planet well, you know, while there's a tremendous amount of dance and song and storytelling, and playing, and growing, and farming, and having a really good time, there's also a huge amount of bloodshed. There's an enormous amount of battle, and war, and conflict, and disagreement, and misalignment, and that anger, and rage, and violence comes first in the family and then it goes outward to a community to a village, to a town sometimes to a city and then it seems to travel upward into hierarchies where we have kings and queens and emperors and military might and before you know it we have Genghis Khan coming and conquering and conquesting across the dear planet, or we have the Christian Crusades or dialing back further than that, we have the Egyptians enslaving the Jews and then we have the Jews emancipated from that slavery, crossing the sea and uh, in turn enslaving others and doing vile violence to others as well, warring in so many places, Jericho and elsewhere a lot of early Jewish history is a military history and it's ugly and it's rather vicious and it sets a tone unfortunately for me who is born of Jewish blood to see that that is so much of our genetic background Um, in the Middle East. A tremendous amount of bloodshed and violence and war. And what comes with that, of course, is plundering, pillaging, theft, and rape. And uh, don't think that there's any one group, religious, spiritual, or otherwise, that has not engaged uh, to one degree or another in this kind of activity. Of course, our evolutionary trend is to go beyond those features of our psyche and blossom into our prefrontal cortex and our heart chakra and live lives that are much more user-friendly Uh, creating a universe and a planet that's much friendlier, more amicable rather than adversarial, much more, let's say, steeped in the higher functions of compassion and love of kindness and, you know, the word kindness is related to the word kin and that's, of course, where we get the word kinder And we get kindergarten from that. So what is the meaning of that? Well, maybe we're all supposed to be children playing in the playground. Maybe. I like that interpretation. Let me know if you do. Uh, And after becoming children in the playground, maybe we can become uh, mature children. Maybe we can even become mature adults and then conduct the affairs at hand of adults. Meaning that we do such things as mate, match, sometimes marry, have children, and uh, continue to promulgate the uh, the species. You know, we've got all the beautiful, magnificent equipment for doing exactly that, and we've got a lot of arts and science that help to support our doing that in the most magnificent of ways. So. Oh yes, the art of love and the art of making love and we've taken that to such high degrees when you look back at some of the ancient wisdom such as what we gather from Taoist practices, Taoist sex practices or uh, the Kama Sutra. These are rather advanced practices that take the joy of making love and transmute it into a high-level art form, a spiritual activity and discipline, for that matter. I know that these same practices show up across the world in different indigenous contexts as well, Native American here in uh, North America and elsewhere. So, it's interesting that our planet is populated with such practices. And it just makes it all the more interesting that it's not like an isolated case, but rather a rather uh, trans-Pacific and trans-Atlantic case. Indigenous, as in growing up from the earth like plants and food, you know? So, let's move on. Now that we've looked at and have noted, duly noted, that the environmental conditions in which we're currently living of climate change are distinct from the times in the past. We see that we are uh, in a sense made more tense with the potential of our species level demise We're born knowing we will die. Surely. We know that. However, does that mean that we're going to be going down with our entire species and many many others with us through our own batard, i.e. furthering and accelerating climate change? Not necessarily. So you could say that our life today is exacerbated by these uh, scientifically grounded facts. The melting of the ice caps, the release of methane, um, the uh, overabundance preponderance of CO2 in our atmosphere faster than it can discharge it through uh, the, uh, the cellular respiration of plants and trees to metabolize CO2 and uh, therefore emit oxygen. You're with me. You understand. You know the cycle. Photosynthesis and the rest. The hydrologic cycle. So we've sort of framed that part of it. Then we want to move on to the economy because the economy um, comes back to the ancient Greek word Uh, ECO, E-C-O, which simply means household, the management of the household, household management. Uh, What did they call it in uh, junior high school? (laughs) Homec. We used to so smile at that word, at that phrase, but indeed, that is the basis of all economy. It starts right there. It starts in the home and expands outward. Now, of course, our economy is in the hands of bankers, largely, and it's been uh, manipulated and distorted and greatly imbalanced because the people who are at the helm of these big banks and institutions are also imbalanced. And so much of what I speak about has to do with correcting that imbalance. And the balance is largely between what brain is dominant? And I make the argument that the reptilian brain is largely dominant in people who are at the heads of banks. It sounds so funny because they look so debonair in their, uh, in their beautiful suits, but uh, they're oftentimes gripped by fear. It may not be evident in their appearance, but it is evident through their actions because no balanced, sane healthy person would continue to promote actions or transactions, as the case may be that would benefit only a few and be at the detriment of the rest. If you've got a human family of approximately 6 billion souls and only .001 is getting the benefit of most transactions, and the rest are paying for those transactions through hunger, malnutrition, um, slave labor, child labor, child warfare, uh, and the like, disruption and uh, destruction of soil and our planet, Uh, we see in psychology, we call that pathology. Uh, It's a great book that I have recommended over and again, uh, which is I learned everything I needed to know in kindergarten. And the funny thing is, there's a lot of truth to that. The truth has to do with the idea of sharing. Share and share alike. You've heard your parents say it. You betcha. And the uh, the uh, more balanced young boy or girl shares his or her candy with the siblings or the neighbors, or, and they feel the pain of those who might be a little less fortunate down the block or in, uh, across the tracks, and they seek to do something to balance the situation. Nature. Let's look at nature let's look at the idea of biomimicry Uh, we are nature and nature seeks to balance everything, everything out including our psyche and the only thing that can stop it is our psyche we uh, seek to hold on, we seek to fix, we seek to stabilize and that shows up oftentimes as greed as hoarding and a lack of trust in the higher nature of ourselves, or of nature, nature herself. You know, we might say we believe in the divine, but we don't show it. Interesting way to think about all of this. We need to show it. We need to demonstrate it, and act therefrom. So, with an economy out of balance, because there are only truly, relatively speaking a handful of people who are controlling that economy and they allow it to be so deranged and imbalanced that if left to nature which will seek a balance homeostasis and does everything it needs to do to create balance including these days massive floods storms, uh, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, volcanoes, all over the place, and they've stepped up because of the imbalances that we, anthropogenically, are causing. You got that. This is just punished, although it may feel that way sometimes. Nature is an intelligence, is a mother, and is balancing out the elements so she can continue to do her work as mother and if there's an infection or a parasite in view or a cancer at hand, she will balance out the elements to keep the majority of her life in motion and healthy and growing and thriving and if that means the loss of some for the good of all so it will be, so it will be and so it has always been, yeah am I looking at humanity (laughs) as Sarah Palin has said many times you betcha so this is the, these are the horns of the dilemma on which we currently sit. So the economy is way out of whack because, I'm suggesting, we are in the grips. Our banking institutions, our business, our captains of industry are in the grips of their reptilian brain, the amygdala. They're not in touch with their mammalian brain or their prefrontal cortex or their heart chakra, by and large, there are brilliant exceptions to what I'm saying. Brilliant. And we are so grateful. However, right now, the ship is being steered by those few who are actually pathologically in the grips of of, of these parts of themselves that are not allowing the natural altruism generosity of spirit and action and material wealth to be properly circulated. So there's a circulation problem, there's a nervous system problem, there's a neural problem, there's a brain problem, and clearly there's a heart problem. It leads to indigestion it leads to constipation, and it's leading to muscular contraction, all of which is a way of saying major, major, not just stress, but distress on all systems of the body, of the human body, of the body of humanity. And this, my friends, is taking a look at the larger picture. This is looking at us as a species from above. Imagine there are six billion humans and a thousand of six billion who have accumulated both the financial wealth, of course, money is our currency by and large, of, of power and of energy, and 1,000 or so people, you know, some can argue a little less and some can argue a little more, but no matter what, even if it's 10,000, even if it's a million, but it's not even anywhere near that. It's way closer to somewhere between, you know, 1,000 and 5,000 individuals, individual families, that have really amassed the wealth which translates really into power and what does that mean but decision making for the whole and the decisions being made are for their benefit by and large of the whole, the whole from their point of view is to serve them and not making decisions for the good of the whole. Otherwise the world just simply would not look this way. There is no reason for a Flint, Michigan to occur with our current technology and with our current development of our prefrontal cortex and our heart. It's just, which is also a brain. There's just no reason for that. No earthly reason. That's just one example of thousands. There's no earthly reason for war. There's no earthly reason to have armed conflict, as they call it. It's just no reason. There's no reason for poverty. There's hardly any reason for many illnesses. There are so many remedies. There are so many ways of living life, lifestyle choices, that in itself forget medication lifestyle choices that would keep people just robustly healthy and happy. (laughs) the way it is. There are ways of embracing certain values and having a certain set of priorities in life of love, liberty, uh, well-being, sharing, kindness, humor, generosity, integrity at base for the whole thing to run smoothly like a pianola. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yep, like a pianola. Like one of my great teachers used to say, Mr. Gurdjieff. So moving on. We have the imbalance in the environment. We have the imbalance in the economy. And when there's an imbalance like this in the economy, There are people on both ends of the spectrum who want to set it right because this is our natural, truly biological impulse toward balance. But balance is seen from polar opposites as looking rather different. So now let's zero in. We're zooming in, folks. Hold on to the fact that the United States of America often called the most powerful country and wealthiest country in the world Uh, wealthiest in what way I would definitely have to query because it may be the most materially wealthy but it is not the most spiritually wealthy even though it has a lot of spiritual wealth it has a lot of creativity a lot of human beings on uh, earth in North America in the United States of America are beautiful, brilliant people. However, as a nation, it's very, very troubled and the imbalances are acute. It's an acute illness and it's not getting better and it's actually become chronic. And the more you look, the more you will see that it's been chronic. (sighs) Careful from the beginning. Because if you have a country that its uh, economy is based on slavery. And not only enslaving people and paying them virtually nothing, room and board, and not much of either of them, but also selling people as chattel. What's healthy about that? What's balanced about that? What's happy-making about that? And yes, our founding fathers though there were disagreements, healthy disagreements between them, actually got behind that form of economy. And we just have to stare that in the face and not glorify the founding of this country, which I find happens a lot. It's the casting our eyes back and idolizing those in the past, or idolizing a text like the Constitution. Are there strong points to it? You betcha. Are there weak points? You betcha also. And I think that we really need to be sober about this and not cast a um, a pious gloss over it because it was our founding fathers who were so ultra brilliant. They meant every single ah and the in the Constitution and Declaration of Independence and Bill of Rights. Well, these are very formidable documents, there's no question. And taking into account the rest of human history, there had been nothing quite like them in at least Western European society. However, well, if you look toward the Adirondacks, and you look at the Iroquois nation, you see that the basis of our founding documents are based on their founding documents, and belief systems, and tenets, and cosmic principles, as well as earthly. We borrowed from them those parts, cherry-picked, as it were, those parts, and we probably should have taken a lot more than we did, and we might not be in this abyss in which we currently find ourselves. For instance, one of the items that we left out Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, et al., is the role of women, i.e. the feminine quality of government. Women at the long table in the Iroquois nation, Mohawk nation, had a say. Nothing past muster. No decision was made without their agreement. They may not have been the ones who were doing the discussion, but sitting back, like letting the men, you know, kind of hack it out, but ultimately coming to them and they would say yay or nay, or this is the way we would suggest you modify it. But they had, as far as I understand, the last word. That sure didn't get imported and that is just an example of numerous others that could have been and well should have been brought into our founding documents. Anyway, moving right along today we have a condition in which we are looking at some candidates for president of this very United States of America, said to be the wealthiest, they say, they call the position the most powerful position in the world, of the free world, the most powerful position, president of the United States. I would question that. I don't necessarily accept that. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to sit down with uh, what was his name John Lear, the son of the inventor of the Lear Jets. We were in a small room at an expo and he's a commercial pilot by profession. He ran missions for the CIA during his tenure uh, as a pilot as well as other commercial uh, jets he flew all over the world for many, many years. And because of that, and because of his father, he had a lot of sort of inside information that he was sharing with us, uh, those of us who were present at his presentation. And I never forgot it, because that was like a good, good, uh, you know, 20 some odd years ago. And uh, it made such an indelible impression on me. He drew on the chalkboard which will give you some idea of the uh, antiquity of this piece of information, but no less valid, I'll have you know. Uh, different levels of clearances, of confidentiality, top secret, top, top secret, all the way down. And, uh, God, just in general, there were about 40 to 50 levels, as I recall, of clearance. And the president was around 32. That means he was just a hair or two above the median level. Who then has the top level clearances if it's not the president of the United States? Well, that's a very good question, and I'm not really sure I have the answer to that. But uh, it does suggest that there are numerous people who do. And maybe we would take a look at the CIA, maybe we'd take a look at the NSA, maybe we'd look at the FBI, maybe we 'd look at certain Pentagon uh positions, possibly state department i don 't really know, but there are clearances far above president, which means he or she is not and I'm not begging the question by saying that right now, by the way, but uh, I'll stick to he for the moment, unless it's Jill Stein, Dr. Jill Stein, and I am working my way around to that point shortly, um, only has a rather limited understanding and knowledge of what the heck is going on in our own country, and across the world. Well, who the hell are these other people, huh? Are they elected officials? I don't think so. Then who are they? That will be a subject for another show. But for today, I want to zoom in on this present election cycle, because many of us are gravely concerned about what's going on. There are so many lies. Numero uno. It's not just Ted Cruz the liar but the person who is using that phrase is one of the chief architects of deception and generalization and distortion and omission, by the way the next issue is that of the media and the way the media defines the issues, delimits the issues, determines the issues, and discusses it in the tone it chooses. Brings on the so-called pundits, it shouldn't be allowed to use that word, or experts, again, inappropriate choice of word. To come in and weigh in on any subject uh, of uh, in hand on a given day, and basically what they're doing is they're sort of like uh, a, an announcer at a horse race at the at the track, and there's Trump turning the lead to the left, and right behind him is Ted Cruz, and oh my God, it looks like. Um, Kasich is coming on shortly, just behind. Oh my God. So what's rational? What's reasonable? What's committed to the well-being and education of the populace? None of the above. The Republican conversation dominating the airwaves by about, could it be 85 to 15? Or 90 to 10? Oh, there's a Democratic Party. But is Trump in the Democrat? No. Well, who cares then? Who cares about Bernie Sanders? And, well, I can't say I care that much about Hillary Clinton. But, you know, at least let's give some space to the Democratic conversation. And in the Democratic conversation, you've noticed who has gotten eclipsed? (laughs) Or should I put it this way, who has gotten trumped in the Democratic conversation? And we all know that that is Bernie Sanders. And Bernie is a man of the heart and he is speaking truth to power like I don't think anybody has done in the Democratic or certainly Republican parties ever since, since I can recall. I have not heard this happen to this extent. And it's brilliant. And it's what is called for and it's what's needed. And I can only say how crestfallen I am in seeing how the coverage is going down, literally, on the news media. So much so that I'm proposing to this audience that we take pen in hand, or let's say uh, keyboard in hand, and stroke it in such a way to the FCC, demanding the relinquishment of the licenses to the top mainstream conventional media, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, dot, Fox News, dot, 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 because they are not serving the public interest. They're serving their own. And recently, the president of CBS was on his own news, chuckling about the fortune they are making on these debates. Because of the commercial nature of what they're doing, these debates are not serving us at all, and they are serving only the corporations themselves. And it's just disgusting disgusting, no other word, just disgusting self-serving, and those are our airwaves and they are there to be serving us and this is completely lost, buried but FCC knows it well, Congress knows it well, and we, the people need to stand up, I believe, and demand the relinquishment of those airwaves for true news. Honest news reportage. So, I would like you to consider that as Americans, as citizens, citizen legislators, legislating from behind our own keyboard and phone. And, oh my God, have people raised hell. And when we do that, things change. It's not a very democratic nation. I think we all know that. But it is a little bit. The window is open just enough for our voice when gathered, when aggravated, to make a big ruckus. And we are heard and we cannot be And that, honestly, is what Bernie Sanders is calling for. He uses the phrase democratic socialism, which I think is just so poorly, poorly uh, stated. It is a rhetorical and political error. And I'm just dismayed that he would use such a phrase as that, because, you know, we all know that. uh, Hitler's party was considered democratically socialist in many minds of the United States. Americans, people have enough historical understanding and remembrance to bring that forward. It is doing his campaign a horrible disservice, if you ask me. To call it something that we've had on our website for the longest time called Participatory Democracy Ah, my God, what a better ring to it. Let's be honest. Participatory democracy, because in virtually every single speech he makes, that's what he's asking for. He calls it a revolution. What he means by a revolution is that people stand up and demand democracy. They demand that the government be serving the people. That's participatory democracy. Single-payer. We have a whole lot of what we could call socialist measures, including giving Exxon billions of dollars in tax credits and other oil companies and other agribusiness and other pharmaceuticals and you name it. They are giving out white-collar dollars through tax credits and simply grant money, R&D, what have you non bid contracts all over the place. You don't think that's socialism of one sort? It's a perverted form of socialism if you ask me. The privatization of prisons? This is madness. This is nothing but madness. And it's time I I, I don't want to get caught up in words like this. I just want government to serve people. I want it to be highly efficient as though it were being run like a well-oiled business and lean to the bone. And that's not easy because people don't get an education anymore. They don't get a good intellectual education. They get a worse emotional education. So the emotional intelligence, the emotional intelligence quotient of our nation, I would have to say, is that you know, what might well be an all-time low. It's just at an all-time low. And what comes with that, by the way, is integrity. A sense of respect and dignity among people. It's also true that my old teacher of neurolinguistic programming, one of its founders, Richard Bandler, used to say This country was started by criminals, and it continues to be run by criminals. So why are you so surprised? Well, Richard, you know, history has shown. You're right. You are right. However, there's another glimmer because there's a part of even criminals that want a better way of life people become criminals because there's some lack of economic justice and there's some lack of emotional intelligence usually in the family and then in their peer groups going through school and they resort to radical behaviors to get attention to get their way to pull a fast one toward trickery etc this is what just this is human psyche, this is like psychology 101 and 103 (laughs) and uh, we could stand to take a course in this, in understanding the mechanics of criminality Uh, the mechanics, where it originates there's a shadow in our midst, but where did it come from, what are its origins, and that's the us in today's talk Who are we in the midst of all of this? And who can we? That's a more powerful question. Who are we and who can we be? How can we shape a future? Our values, our priorities, what's in our heart, what's in our soul, and what's in our minds. And indeed, we can shape a future it has to do with following some of the dicta that Bernie Sanders is laying out there's nothing in the dicta if you will of course that means from the latin to speak um uh, that we hear from the republicans or certainly either from Hillary Clinton who you know i would refer you to a series of shows uh, several shows that uh, uh, one of my mentors, Gary Null, has done on PRN um, showing, uncovering the criminal activities and the power-mongering, warmongering activities of the Clintons as a couple. And make no mistake, if Hillary wins, they're both the president. One is in title and one is in effect. So just know that. This will be another round for Bill Clinton and the Clinton Foundation whoa, watch out, boy will they be getting well funded, okay, you've got to look at this honestly they say she has experience, experience in what? in being the architect of the destruction of Libya of regime change in Guatemala and Honduras I mean, what are we talking about experience? as a board member of Walmart of Monsanto? Is that the experience you want to be uh, boasting? I don't think so. Being cozy and cushy with Wall Street for decades and all of a sudden in a few speeches it changes because Bernie is pulling her far to the left? Oh, please. Is the the American people so blind to be so easily swayed? Has she ever done any good things? of course, she's a human being, our natural proclivity is to do good, there's no human being without doing some, who hasn't done some good but you've got to look at the other side, you have to look at the tendencies, you've got to do it, and the allegiances and the affinities, and who owes who what for what how many millions of dollars streaming into her coffers from what sources? And she dares to say on national television that get angry at Bernie Sanders for insinuating that maybe she would have um, partiality to those people that are filling her coffers? Ah, uh, hello! That's exactly how it works, Ms. Clinton, like you don't know. I, and that was a brilliant manipulation she tried to pull and Bernie I can only say I wish you refuted it on the spot instead of being so polite I believe in polite I believe in being respectful I believe in courtesy oh god yes not at the expense of the truth and you can deliver the truth being respectful and being courteous by the way and that's what I'm pushing for And I'm pushing for something even further, beyond the duopoly of Democrat and Republican. And Bernie is truly an independent. I mean, you know that. I believe you know that. He has been on the independent ticket for many, many years. But you're just not going to get any play if you're running for president. How do I know? I've been witnessing this for decades. I've been behind third-party candidates for decades. I witnessed it probably first with John Hagelin, Dr. John Hagelin, award-winning physicist from Harvard and Maharishi Mahesh University in Fairfield, Iowa, who was a presidential candidate in 1992, 1996, and the year 2000. And I was behind him each of those times. Of course, in 2000, I was also behind Gore to some extent, Uh, truly because I saw some of what would be coming if uh, a Bush got elected and uh, well, I hate being right about things like this, I really do, but so it happened election got stolen, we all know that, we see how third parties are completely 100% not even 99% marginalized in the media. They don't exist. You would have hardly known that Rocky Anderson was running in 2012 on the Justice Party ticket. He showed up on CNN maybe for 10 minutes during the entire election cycle. I'm not sure of that amount. Maybe not that much or maybe a little bit more but it was truly minimal. Dr. Jill Stein running for the Green Party who ran then ran before then, and is running again right now. Who knows of Dr. Jill Stein, except for those of us who are paying attention to third-party candidates, who don't rely purely on the mainstream media for, for information and news. She was on A Better World Radio with me in the 2012 Cycle, and I'm seeking to get hold of her again to be on again during this cycle, but there you will find a mindset as strong as Bernie Sanders and more, yes, and more she is not a democratic corporate type and Bernie isn't so much, but his international foreign policy thinking leaves much to be desired from my point of view, much to be desired, and there's tweaking that really needs to take place, to put it mildly. When it comes to Jill Stein, she doesn't have any corporations to be um, beholden to, and her thinking, quite honestly, is just bigger and broader and more ultimately planetarily humane. You know, I just, that's how I feel. I believe that Bernie has all that intelligence that could grok all that she has to put forward and she is ready and willing to put that forward to Bernie and I think he would get a much needed lesson from Dr. Jill Stein. Is that going to happen? Is it not? I don't know. I would like to see it happen. And where I come from, is that we want to vote third party because we want to send a message loud and clear that we need third parties in our elections. Not just as write-in candidates. The entire campaign finance laws need to be completely uh, reformed kind of thrown into the toilet and reinvented because this is madness. It's completely undemocratic. It's completely fixed and rigged. It's designed to keep anyone out unless you're Republican or Democrat. And both parties are completely guilty and complicit of same. A couple of years ago actually in 2012, I had George Farah on, lawyer George Farah who wrote a book about who controls the presidential debates, once it was taken out of the hands of the League of Women Voters. It's really a story that needs to be told over and over again. When Ross Perot upset the apple cart during the Clinton-Bush Sr. debates, that was it. That was it. They saw how powerful a third-party candidate can rock the boat, which is the power structure. And they wouldn't let it happen again. I.e., they wouldn't let democracy happen again. Interesting. And they've been controlling the conversation ever since. It's a whole story I'm not going to go into right now, but if you go into our uh, website at betterworld.tv and put in the name George Farrah, I think it's F-A-R-R-A-H, you can get that story. Or gerrymandering, another way that democracy is kept at bay, considered to be the first democracy of our world. There's very little democratic here, folks. That brings forth another idea. How good is democracy as a system? i dare say I don't really think it's a very good one at all. I know it's popular and it's the liberal perspective but you know it's funny. China is looking at our current state of election and who's running and how they've gotten powerful and who's got the money controls the conversation And they're saying for someone like a Donald Trump to rise to the position that he has when so many of us thought he would have been laughed off stage, oh my God, six months ago. You know, just like he has been in prior elections. He lasted for what? Two two to four weeks? Six weeks? And then people went, Donald, go back to real estate. You know, you didn't do that well there either. Why don't you just go back to branding your name and... uh, trumping yourself up, you know, let's leave it at that oh god, Um, so they're looking at us, how often do we look at ourselves from outside of ourselves but it's certainly an interesting thing and valuable thing to do, so in this case, I've heard on our, you know, NPR uh, news, um, that China is looking at what is going on as an indictment of democratic process. They said if democratic process can bring forward uh, the ability to buy elections, by the way, and buy news time and television time and the rest, you've got a problem on your hands, folks. And we have a system and it's not that I'm promulgating that system at all. I'm not but I am bringing forward the idea that there are alternative systems to what we have, because this does not work. What do we have to do? Be hit over the head with a frying pan, like in the cartoons, to metabolize this? It's not working. And democratic rule is also majority rule. Well, if the majority of the people are not very well educated, or not very well attuned, or have a low intellectual and emotional quotient, gee, you're going to get a body politic that reflects that. And right now we have a Congress that wants to spend more money on killing people and building killing machines than they want on education. They want to spend more money on building prisons than they do on education and educating people and having community centers where kids can play and kids can grow and become fantastic, creative adults with integrity at base. They don't care about that. How do we know? Follow the money trail. Just watch what they spend money on and it will become abundantly obvious what is important in our country, among those who lead it. All corporate lapdogs. Most are corporate lapdogs. Bernie being an exception. God bless him. And I'm making the strong case that third parties need to be uh, supported in the election cycle. Remember, my friends, the popular vote, that's you and me, don't determine the presidency. How many times do you have to cast your eye back on history to see that the Electoral College determines the election or in the case in the year 2000, the Supreme Court that has no jurisdiction in the subject determined the presidency. What a laughing stock. And who has taken stock of this laughing stock? I don't know not enough people, not enough scholars, not enough people in influential positions to have turned that despicable decision around. Actually investigate the criminality in the Florida voting cycle or the criminality involved in removing what we're called prison, uh, criminals from the voting rolls. The only person has done the uh, significant amount of work was the brilliant journalist Greg Pallast, who wrote the book The Best Democracy Money Can Buy and he bared down on this subject like no one else I have ever come across and I would strongly recommend that book if you want to get a little sense of history but even since well let's just say Al Gore won the popular vote but who became president. So if you and I uh, contribute to the popular vote, not a bad idea. Well, there's there are pro and cons to that. Let's not go into that right now. Uh, and let's just say our vote lands in Bernie's lap. Let's just say, for conversation's sake. And the delegates land in her lap she becomes the nominee and depending on the national the general election the person with the electoral college which should have gone out once we had you know Morse code wins the election not the popular vote well what does that mean well I can't I can't vote for a third party it's throwing away my vote no 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 Your vote is meaningless anyway, except for a round of conversation on CNN for a few minutes. The popular vote, everybody, was for Bernie Sanders. However, so and so got most of the delegates and the super delegates. And how about the super, super delegates? You see, it's a fixed system, my friends. This is not democracy at work, and even if it were democracy it just doesn't follow the rules of democracy and it would be better than what we have here, I'm querying the nature of democracy as a structure for doing business at all, what are the alternatives why don't we talk about that another time in the meantime, I am hoping you can see from this conversation, this monologue, that we have a lot of challenge before us. Some of the climatic challenge can be mitigated, remediated to some extent, despite the fact that we've obviously passed certain tipping points already. Irreversible. And platforms such as Bernie's uh, I wish you would get Van Jones to be his running mate or Jill Stein, wow can you imagine that kind of a cabinet Ooh. Um, we could really start a green revolution and really get uh, the renewable energies in place, reduce the fossil fuels step by step and get on with the next epoch of human species endeavor. Turn this thing around, cultivate our emotional intelligence, our heart chakra, and really start to be kind and compassionate and generous and open with each other instead of business as usual today with Puerto Rico going bankrupt and not even being allowed to have its own uh, bankruptcy laws. I mean, it's just travesties of justice over and over again. And it's just time, my friends, that we see and we say, (laughs) you know, on higher levels and larger levels. It's just we have a corporatocracy. And it's in broad daylight now. And yet people walk around believing that we have a government for the people when it's just blatantly obvious and in our face that we do not. And there is a possibility of turning the whole thing around. Really. We need an inch of leverage and we can really do it. The public welfare, you got it. We can do it. There is a commons. Paul Hawkins' book, which I love making reference to, Blessed Unrest, is citing literally millions of organizations around the world, on the ground and up NGOs, social enterprise, capitalistic organizations, companies, B corporations, nonprofit corporations that are really working for the well being of the people across the planet, and have a planetarian perspective a global perspective, not just a local nationalistic identity, much larger it's good to have a local identity, absolutely and a global one at the same time, and you want to really go farther, please, galactic, please, thank you very much ah, universal, you talk in my language that's right my language. And that is a language we should all be speaking. Think universally, act locally. <laughs> that means beings, sentient beings of all stripes, colors, and planets are included in our thinking. Wow. But we have hands and feet and we act locally understanding by the way that good actions here good thoughts and emotions have a quantum effect. Yes. Butterfly effect. We're all becoming butterflies throughout the universe. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that and uh, feel that you have gotten a larger picture on both the environment, on all the environment, the economy, politics, and us, and what can be our role. On a political side and an us side, Um, I would like to make reference also to the work of Sam Daly Harris, who wrote a wonderful book called Reclaiming Our Democracy. And in it is virtually a manual for how to reach your legislators and your senators and your local representatives and work with them in a way, a time-sensitive way, a focused way where you educate them about the issues that are your issues and help them get up to snuff and vote correctly on behalf of good, forward-thinking, high-minded, big-hearted groups. For instance, like uh, Citizen Climate Lobby, like the Pachamama Alliance, like Move to Amend, like a Better World Foundation. You know, there are numerous groups out there doing wonderful things. And we can get the ears of these people. There are specific strategies to employ to be most effective, and Sam outlines them in his Reclaiming Our Democracy. So I want to steer you in that direction and in the direction of looking up Dr. Jill Stein. I think it's Jill Stein 2016 or just Google the Green Party. She is there. Also go to... uh, our website, a betterworld.tv, put her name into the search engine under Radio Archive and listen to my interview with her some years back. The problems are the same; they've only gotten worse, and uh, they have to be abated. And Jill is one to help to do so, and we're simultaneously helping to support third-party candidacy. So, on that note. And if you can't go that far, at least go as far as Bernie Sanders. (laughs) Consider both. And uh, I think Jill is making some offer to really help Bernie. And I would really love to see that happen. On that note, my friends, I so appreciate your uh, attention, your listening skill, uh, your openness to these ideas. You know, don't take any two to heart. Just examine them. Which ones work for you? Keep and send these uh, links to your friends and your family or others or your adversaries. See what they have to say. See what they have to think. Let's keep the ball rolling, my friends. Please go to a abetterworld.tv, www.abetterworld.tv. Know that also I uh, do professional counseling and coaching, communications consulting, business consulting. Creative Solutions Consulting, that's my work. And you can find that work at com that's with two L's, Rabin R-A-B-I-N dot com. So uh, remember that we are a non-profit, a Better World Foundation. Your contributions are so appreciated. You help us grow, uh, legacy giving. Whatever is possible, we welcome and are deeply grateful for. If the amount is uh, in any way significant, please contact me at the at the uh, email address mjr at a better net, or you can go to uh, for donations through PayPal for amounts lower than say five hundred to. Our PayPal on our website betterworld.tv in the right hand column. Thanks again and I look forward to seeing you all next week.